podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to jump into the sermon this morning, uh, but I'd like to begin with some prayers. So if you would join me. Heavenly Father, you're so, you're so wonderful. And this morning, we, as your people, declare your goodness. We lift your name on high and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be present this morning, that you would anoint every word that proceeds from this pulpit, God, that it would be effective for your purposes in your kingdom. Lord, we just submit our hearts and our lives to you as you minister to us through the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Jonathan began this sermon series, The Lord is Near, last week with a sermon called The Lord is Near in Chaos. That the Lord is near in the chaos. And he talked about the passage that he had was apocalyptic in nature. It talked about the temple being destroyed. And I can't imagine for a people whose national identity was wrapped up in the temple. I can't imagine the chaos they must have experienced when that temple was destroyed. And yet we know that God is near, that he was working. And even today he is rebuilding that temple with living stones, you and me. And the Holy Spirit is now dwelling inside of us. So we know that God is near in the chaos. And I think it's important that as we approach these different sermons that we're going to be engaging with throughout this season, it's, we need to keep the lessons of Advent or the purposes of Advent before us because it really shapes the sermons. And, and the, there were three things that Jonathan mentioned. Number one, Advent is all about, it, it's the literal meaning of Advent means coming or arrival. So we are, number one, remembering Christ's first arrival. His first coming after 400, I can't, I mean, just think about this after 400 years of silence where the people of God felt as though the Lord had not spoken. Imagine the yearning they must have felt, especially the context into which Christ was born. They were under the rule, the thumb of a foreign power. And in that place, they were yearning and looking for the Messiah. And so in Advent, we remember, we remember. The second thing is we anticipate Christ's second coming. So we look back and we remember Christ's first coming. And we remember that that first coming promises a second coming. That God is coming again to make all things right that everything at the end will be consummated with his righteousness. And every tear and every difficulty, it will somehow in a way that we don't understand, it'll be made right. What hope we have in Christ. 
And then the third thing is, is that we remember and we anticipate Christ's coming into our lives at this very moment. We somehow bridge the gap of Christ's first coming and his second coming. And and here's the thing we need to remember, that Christ's kingdom is both here and coming. That means there are going to be times that we experience the joys and the blessings of Christ's kingdom now established in our hearts. But there are going to be those times as Pastor Jade mentioned before going into our time of prayer, that we will experience want, where we will look for the kingdom of God and it will seem so distant. And Advent is learning how to wait with the character of Christ. It's learning how to yearn for him again. There's a lot of different kinds of waiting. I feel like growing up, I was trained to wait. You know, my, uh, I mean, my mom would look at me and say, just wait till your dad gets home. I mean, that was like a <laughs> daily occurrence. I was constant. I mean, listen, I am equipped for the season of Advent. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, the, the other, you know, there is another kind of waiting, though. We don't have to wait in fear. I just want to make sure that you understand this. I know that circumstances can produce fear. We can walk through some turbulent times when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and there were storms just raging around them. They experienced fear, but there's another kind of waiting. And uh, my, I, I, my father was in the military. He was in the army when I grew, as a, you know, as I was growing up. And uh, so I never knew what it was like to live in a place longer than four years before moving here to Colorado Springs. And throughout his career, uh, on a yearly basis, at very least, my father would have to go to field training for anywhere from three weeks to three months at a time. And I can remember from the earliest times those seasons of longing that I was, I was waiting and I wasn't afraid. It wasn't a, a waiting that was birthed out of fear. It was a waiting that was, that was longing for his presence to come near to me again. And the days leading up to my, my father's return, it was, I, I mean, I just, I couldn't think about anything else. My teachers, I remember my fifth grade teacher, my, my teachers would all, they would all say the same thing. Oh, your dad must be coming home from the field. Because I was just a different child. I was a different kid. Looking forward to, waiting. And I think, I think that's the kind of waiting that God wants to produce in us that we can be the kind of people that wait with great anticipation, no matter the storms and no matter the difficulty. And my sermon this morning is in alignment with this thought that we can wait for God with a different type of waiting. The title of my message this morning is The Lord is Near in the Wilderness. And if you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6. That's the entirety of the passage 
for this particular Sunday. Churches all across the nation and the world will be preaching from this passage. God's word says this, in the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Idorea and Trachonitis and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh and all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. So jumping right into this, the very first thing we see Luke describe is the historical setting. And I I laughed last week when Jonathan said, oh, this is probably a passage that you skip over when you do your devotional readings. And as I read this for this, as I read this for this message, I almost skipped over it. I thought, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. In the 15th year, I don't, I mean, it's so far removed. What does this have to do with today? But Luke's introduction, which is designed to kind of let us know when these things were taking place, actually provides us with far more information than just the timing. As I mentioned earlier, the people of God were being ruled by the Roman government. And it was the greatest hope of Israel to be ruled by God and God alone, to have no other nation ruling over them. It references the governmental powers of that time, a place that exalted human strength. If we continue to read on, there's even reference to the religious context. And and I think what scripture's really pointing to here is they're pointing to both the human power and the religious powers of that time. And here's why, because the word of God didn't show up in the halls of power. It didn't show up to the religious influences of that time. It showed up in the desert. The word of salvation came to John in the desert. It came through the place of weakness. And I think it's easy for us sometimes to look to those things that seemingly have so much power for the answers. But this morning I submit to you that God's answers for you are in the wilderness, that there's an answer for you. In my studies, I spent a good amount of time just meditating and studying the biblical perspective on wilderness. And here's some things that I found. The actual word means lonely. But wilderness is a lonely place. It's desolate. 
it's, it's a desert. Some of the dictionaries I pulled from described it as a place of lack because it was an uncultivated land. There was no harvest to be had. It was a place of hunger. As you would walk through the wilderness, there, were, there wasn't an abundance of food. They pointed out that it was a place where people didn't live. And so it marked, it pointed toward homelessness and, and, and being dispossessed. It's dry and arid. It's a place with little to no water. It's empty. And it's a place where living is difficult, which is why people don't live there. And yet, it was in the wilderness that God's word came. You know, when kings would enter into cities, they would have people who would go before them shouting and trumpets and fanfare. Why? To, to bring everybody's attention to the coming of the king. And yet it wasn't to the kingdom that the word came. It was in the wilderness. And I, and I think God's message to us in Advent is I know that though some of you are walking in your own wilderness, but I have a word for you. Some of us are there as we speak in that dry place. Some of us are experiencing the wilderness of loneliness. Some of us are experiencing the feelings of being bereft and without a home, like you don't fit and that there's no place for you. Some of you are experiencing the dryness that life can so often produce. And for all of us, whether we're experiencing that now, have experienced it once before, and we will experience again. Jesus says in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. You will experience wilderness. But I have a word for you. My father, I, man, my father was uh, forced into early retirement. And for about eight years, we, he did not have a job. And so from the time around my eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade, I was in college before my father actually found, you know, a place. We went through a wilderness season. My dad was overqualified for some jobs, multiple business failures. It got to the point where every month we were potentially going to be evicted from our home. Um, my mom had $5 as a budget for food a week, family of four. I don't really think about that a lot. <laughs> and I didn't realize that it was in me 
but I was meditating on this and I just asked this question. I said, have I experienced the wilderness? And this came back to me. And so what I did is I called my parents. I said, why don't you just share with me that time period? And the, the, my mom said, it's just wilderness is, is probably the best word, the desert. And being a family that moved so often, we didn't, we didn't have a strong community to run to, friends. And this is what my mom said, and in tears, you know, we were, we were weeping together, just remembering, and she said, that was the season where I learned to wait on God. That's all I could do. I couldn't do anything else. I was helpless. And there's these old songs, and it's funny because I had forgotten about them, but they are, they are songs that are like mantras for my family now. If I were to play this song, I played them for myself this morning, and I just, something welled up in me. I was weeping before the Lord. And it was Psalm 32, you are my hiding place. You're my hiding place, God. And there was another song by Hosanna Music. It came out and uh, the song was, uh, when the fig tree fails to blossom and no fruit beyond the vine and the fields yield no food, I will praise you, Lord divine. And, and, and I got to tell you, these, these, weren't, these weren't songs or scriptures that we relied on as if they were, we, we weren't willing ourselves to be happy. It was, it was like we were clinging to the light of God in the darkness. There was no, I mean, there was nothing else we could do. All we could do was cling. It, we couldn't do anything else. My mom said, how to wait. And it's where I learned to wait because there's something there in that desert. There is an untouched well. And it may be, you may not be able to see it on the surface, but if you wait and dig, you just wait and dig there is a well for you. There is a word for you. So this Advent and the season of waiting, I want to invite you into the waiting on God. Because we know, this is what we know from this passage, this is what we know, that God's word came in the desert. Look for God in your desert. Wait on him. Make room to listen. Look for God in the unexpected place. 
Everybody was expecting a king like David to show up in the centers of power. And yet that's not where it came unexpectedly in the wilderness. Listen, look to the unexpected places. It's easy to look to those places of power that we have typically run to. Oh, it worked for us in the past, but I just need to run. I'm going to go there again. But I'm, I'm asking you to wait. The desert is an uncomfortable place. And in our flesh, we want the quickest way out. We want the answer that will give us the quickest way out. And yet I'm, I am submitting to you this morning that the answers aren't on the way out. The answers are just in. Let me be clear. I'm not making a statement on whether it is right or wrong to look for a way out of the wilderness. That's not what I'm talking about. It might be right. It might be wrong. I don't know. But here is, here is what I am saying, that there are dark places that God desires his light to shine. There are dry places where he longs for his waters to flow. There is a deafening silence where God wants to whisper to you. Wait in the wilderness. And I don't know the timing by which he'll cause these things to happen. And I'm not going to pretend to know the timing. And there's no formula. I know a lot of people want to come to you with a formula about the desert, but there is no formula for the desert. I don't know the timing. It was eight years, eight to 10 years for my family. That's a long time in the desert. But here's what's important. The word came. It came. Let me just backtrack here for a moment. I, <laughs> the wilderness can be a place of death. But I want to I I just point your perspective, or at very least present a different perspective on death. There, listen, there is a death that leads life. Your wilderness experience is not in vain if you can embrace God there. But listen, I, I, just as much as there is a death that leads to life, there is a death that leads to death. There is a wilderness that can produce death. And here's the difference. I've asked myself time and again, God, what's the difference? Why in some situation does it result in life? And why in other situations, it feels like I'm still dealing with death. The stench of death is still all over it. And here's, here's the difference. God. I know it sounds like a Sunday school answer, but it is the presence of God that is the difference. God is the difference maker that you can experience life and death because Jesus died and rose again. And for no other reason will you experience life, but unless, unless you cling to God in the desert. Let's move forward. Verse three Luke writes, he went into all the regions, speaking about John. So John is in the desert. He receives the word of salvation and the coming of the Messiah. 
And then it says, he went into all the regions around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There were two things that really stood out to me as I read this. Number one, John's season in the wilderness was just that. It was a season and it came to an end. And if you're walking through a difficult time, I want to set this before you. There is an end to that season. It is not an eternal season of wilderness. Listen, the Christian life is not an eternal season of night. It is light. We don't know how long John's wilderness season was. We just know that he left it. John 16, I mentioned this earlier. Jesus says, you are gonna experience trouble. But then Jesus says this, but take heart. Take heart because I have overcome the world. And just as Advent teaches us, we are experiencing in part now. So we are, we are going to experience seasons where it doesn't feel like we're overcoming. And there are gonna be seasons where we feel God's overcoming power just flooding through us. And here's why, because we are living in part We are also looking ahead to when Christ will come and he will overcome all for all time. The second thing that, I, that, I, that really stood out to me was that when John received the word of God, it oriented him toward others to proclaim that word for those walking in their own deserts. Think about this for a moment. He's in the desert and he received the word of God. And the first thing he does is he goes and he begins to proclaim that word of repentance and salvation to those walking under the, 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 the burden of sin, under the burden of unmet expectations. God, when are you gonna come and overthrow these Romans? Unmet expectations. And John receives the word and he goes, he turns it oriented toward those walking in their own desert. Dr. Chris Green, he's spoken here a number of times, wrote this small book called Surprised by Hope. And, and in it, he writes this, the Christian life is a life of movements, a life that Jürgen Moltmann describes as breathing. We inhale in worship and we exhale in witness the very life of God. This is what John did. He was in the wilderness, in the dark place, in the dark night of the soul, and God's word came to him, and he inhaled God's word. And then he exhaled to others. We breathe in, then we breathe out. Life, hear me. And I say this with as much humility and grace as I possibly can, but life is not one long intake of breath. But as Christians, it feels like we are, we are constantly wanting to just inhale, 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 breathe in, breathe in, breathe in. But listen, at some point, we are to breathe out. You will die. You will pass out. You will die. We see this rhythmic understanding in the greatest of commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Inhale. 
And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Exhale. This Advent season, if you find the very breath of God in your lungs, I entreat you, exhale. Reorient the scope of your vision to see those who might be walking through their own desert and minister God's love to them. Scripture says, with the measure that you give, you shall receive. But this morning, what I'm presenting to you is, with the measure that you have received, give. Those of you who have participated in sports for any length of time will understand this analogy of breathing. It's often, it's often overlooked. But breathing is the key to almost any, and not almost, every sport. Because if you don't, trust me, you're not doing sports. If you want to run the race well, if you want to finish the race and not quit the race, learn to breathe. We've, this, this is true for this spiritual discipline of inhaling God and exhaling God. We have to learn how to do it. When you're lifting weights, you know, most people want to hold their breath. And if you see any trainer, they're going to say, number one, you're going to blow a vessel. Okay, number two, breathe, exhale as you lift. And it's something you have to intentionally think about. When you're running a long distance race, breathing is almost all you think about. Okay, you've got to think about breathing. If you don't do it right, you will end up doing it wrong. And, And I think... The, the frustrations that we experience with the Christian life can be tracked back to this, that we haven't learned how to, do, how to breathe. We haven't learned how to breathe God in and breathe God out. There are times for inhaling and there are times for exhaling. And a lot of us are, a lot of us are trying to exhale and minister to others when we haven't, we haven't breathed God in. And many of us are breathing God in from Sunday to Sunday, never releasing the breath of God to their families and their communities. And while there are many, many ways to learn the discipline, allow me to leave you this morning with just one. Wait. I know it seems simple. Just, just wait. Wait on God. I'm going to bring this message to a close with a short excerpt from a devotional entry by Henry Nouwen. Waiting is not a very popular attitude. Waiting is not something that people think about with great sympathy. In fact, most people consider waiting a waste of time. For many people, waiting is an awful desert between where they are and where they are wanting to go. And people do not like such a place. They want to get out of it by doing something. It impresses me, therefore, that all the figures who appear in the first pages of Luke's gospel, John included, are waiting. Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting. Mary is waiting. Simeon and Anna, are, who were at the temple when Jesus was brought in, are waiting. But what is the nature of waiting? What is the practice of of waiting. How are they waiting and how are we called to wait with them? 
Waiting is active. Most of us think of waiting as something very passive, but there is none of this passivity in scripture. Those who are waiting are waiting very actively. They know that what they are waiting for is growing from the ground on which they are standing. That's the secret. The secret of waiting is the faith that the seed has been planted, that something is happening where you are and that you want to be present with it. A waiting person is someone who is present to the moment, who believes that this moment is the moment. This Advent, I urge you to actively wait. Participating in traditions are not just external actions that we check off our list, to-do list during the Christmas season. The Christmas, the Advent tradition is all about waiting, actively waiting, coming around the Advent wreath as a family and waiting. I believe that when we learn to do this, we open ourselves to the Lord in such a way as to know when to breathe in and when to breathe out. Let's stand this morning. As we come to the table, let's come with this idea of inhaling, breathing in God. As we come to the bread and we come to the wine, as we come to these element tables, we are breathing in God. And then as we leave this place, God is inviting us to exhale him to the world. The second Advent, second Sunday of Advent is traditionally the time when we meditate on the Advent of peace that Christ's arrival brought into the world. As you take this bread and you take this grape juice, let us imagine Christ's peace not just being shed on us, but being brought into the very center of our being. That we might leave and share that peace with others. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.